You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewellery or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For... Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Our dearest Heavenly Father, We thank you that we can trust you with all things uh, because you entrusted to us your son. Uh, You sent your one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Uh, And your love is so beautifully shown in the sacrificial death that he died on our behalf. Thank you that from that we can trust you, we can love you, and we can journey with you in confidence um, of your continual presence uh, and because of the gift of your Holy Spirit. We ask now that you would... Sanctify us, sanctify us in the truth, your word is truth. And please be with me, guard my lips, guard my heart, guard my mind. Um, help me to speak gently, uh, speak with courage, speak truth, um, and help us uh, to be receptive to what it is that you want to say today um, th- through your word. Um, and Holy Spirit, would you be pleased to um, conform us into the image of Jesus Christ, your son, as we seek to follow after him in all that we do. We ask for your help. We trust you, we love you, and we depend on you in these next few minutes together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I wonder how you felt in response to the reading this morning. I wonder how you felt in response to the words that were just taken out of this first little section of chapter 3, as we got to think about wives and husbands and, and what the Bible is calling everyone to live uh, in that last little section. Maybe some words came to mind as you sat here today. Outdated, prehistoric, unnecessary. That's not the time that I live in. That's not the society I want to live in. Those reactions, maybe, maybe those are some of the reactions that you felt today. Maybe it's your first time to being in church today. Maybe it's your first time to tuning in to a church video today and you're thinking, I knew it. I was right about those Christians. I was right to be suspicious. As they read the Bible, this is all the stuff that happens. I knew it. Well, if that is your sentiment, maybe if that's your feeling in response to what we've been able to read and what we're going to investigate and dig into, um, let me just say I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you're here so that we can together uh, dive deep into this passage and to understand it um, in its original context, 
to its original readers, to understand its real meaning and, and not just to take it at its face value, to, to quickly brush over and to maybe assume what it might be saying, but to really get under the hood and so that we can do this together and see what it is that God is teaching us, his church and his people, and actually see that the words that are contained in the passage today, they are, they're actually really quite beautiful. So I want to invite you today, please stay with me. Let's look at all of what it has to say. I recognise and, and do see and even felt in myself the number of speed bumps along the way that we can retaliate at. So stay with me as we go through these couple of sections and look at this together. Now, it's really important that as we come to a section like this, look, it's, it's important to recognise that, hey, we're in chapter three, chapter three of a, of a bigger book, five chapters, we're halfway through. So there's some stuff that has come before. So there's some context that's really, really helpful for us to understand as we, as we get to dig into what Peter is teaching and what God is teaching us through these words. So, you know, as people would commonly uh, experience in joining a Netflix episode halfway through a series, there's a little bit at the start which was in the last episode or up to, up to this point from here or whatever that might be, I think it's really important that we just, just brush up with the context of the passage and, what, and the train of thought and the logic that Peter's been using so far to get to what we have just read. Peter, so far through this book, he's been speaking to Christians in the time of the early church. We're in about the time of AD 60. And it's Christians who are in the midst of persecution, harsh, severe, deadly persecution. And as Peter has been writing to these churches, he's thus far in this letter called every follower of Jesus to a life of endurance and also hope. He's asked Christians and called them to a life that is self-controlled, one that doesn't give in to godless desire. Peter has been calling Christians to don't indulge their ego at the expense of their soul. Peter has been calling Christians to favour selflessness over selfishness. Peter has been talking about rather than living a life that is focused in on you and what you might think is right right now, he wants us to live a life that is one of imitating the goodness and love of Jesus Christ. So he keeps coming back to throughout this letter. He keeps bringing us back to Jesus. Peter has addressed his audience, he, he would address even us as elect exiles. A very, very term that reminds us that, hey, this world, it's not our home. So don't, you don't, don't get comfortable and don't feel like you need to fit in. And remember, you are following and you are in the safe hands of your Lord, Saviour and Rescuer, Jesus Christ the selfless king. A little more specifically, Peter has, Peter has also addressed his readers and reminded them that, that they are family. They are family. And that as people in God's family, there's a certain family traits and certain family characteristics and family behaviours that they'll all share, that they'll, they'll all have. There'll be a family resemblance. Peter's been calling them to be holy as God is holy. He's been calling them to be unified He's been calling them to be different to what they once were. He's been calling them to be like Jesus. And not only next to family, Peter's also spoken about that because you are in the family, you're also in the family business. We thought about that, didn't we? The holy priesthood, the holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people for God's only possession. And as people that are in this family, with this family business, you want to be a people who work together to bring glory to God through Jesus, your King. And that you are to do good in this world as Jesus did, Jesus, your King. And you are to live a life of love towards God and others as Jesus did, Jesus, your King. The call has been so far, live like Jesus. And it's a good call. It's a beautiful call. It's a gospel call. It's a call to walk with the one who loves you, who has saved you, who's protecting you, who is guarding you, who is with you, 
It's a call to continue in relationship with your maker and to love him because he first loved you and he, given up, he has given up his life for you. So some of the specific context that Peter's been drawing us in with and, and leading us along. And then over the last two weeks, we've seen him go a little bit more specific in some really, um, really specific relationships of what Christian behaviour is to look like. Last two weeks, we've looked at two very specific relationships to the elect exile, and that is the Christian's relationship with both government and then with slaves or servants. And each time we saw Peter, he appealed to following Jesus in these relationships. As citizens, Peter was saying that if you're a Christian citizen in Rome, remember your ultimate citizenship is in heaven, so you can be, you, you can be subject to an evil government. You can submit to an evil government because Jesus, he's your king, and he has also modelled that he was able to subject himself and submit himself to evil government. But as you do that, as elect exiles, it's like a bleeper, I'm not swearing, I swear. As you do that as elect exiles, you are following in the footsteps of your King Jesus. And then last week we saw Joash and JJ paid us a visit and they spoke about how a Christian worker, a Christian servant or slave, they are able to submit to their master or their boss and be subjected, subjected to them even in harsh conditions in, in their circumstances. Because as you follow Jesus, you'll be following his example of where he was subjected to the worst of conditions, wasn't he? To the point of death, even death on a cross. And now it's in this line of thinking of Christian relationships and behaviours within these relationships that Peter now finishes this line of thought at the start of chapter 3 with three more types of Christian relationships and behaviour. We've had read, probably noticed them, the relationship of a wife and, it's, and her behaviour with her husband, the relationship of a husband and his behaviour with his wife, and then he, just to sum it up, he goes, finally, everyone. Three new different relational roles, each with God's unique guidance for behaving within them. And as we've seen with the pattern so far, leading up to this point, Peter will show again how each one can be engaged in and actively lived out with Jesus as the example and with Jesus as the model for how we should be living in them. Whether you're a wife, whether you're a husband, whether you are an everyone. So I'm going to keep the structure of the sermon pretty simple from here on in. Three points. Wives, husbands, everyone. A plus for creativity. As we, go through these, as we go through these points, what we're going to see is two focuses, just two focuses that Peter is calling each, of these, each person in these relationships to focus on, two behavioural focuses. We're going to see how these behavioural behaviors, am I saying that right? We're going to see how those focuses are beautifully modelled and led by Jesus. And then we're going to see two reasons why he wants us to call us to these behaviours in the eyes of God. So hus wives, husbands, everyone, two focuses for their behaviour. How those focuses are beautifully modelled and led by Jesus and the two reasons why God gives it people should engage in this way. So, first things first, wives, pray for me. <laughs> now, first thing we need to say as we lead into, this, lead into this point is the value that is placed on wives and women in the Bible in God's eyes is massive, massive value. God has only utter respect, love and absolute care for his daughters. God is a fiercely protective father of his girls. And he's given me three of them to also practice this as well. <laughs> Secondly, the Bible affirms 
in terms of equality between men and women, both are created in the image of God. Both are equal in value, but they will, they will represent God in different ways. And it, should be and it should be read so in this context. And note also, this passage here says, likewise, wives and your own husbands. This is Peter mainly addressing wives. It's not a all-in, catch-all generalization for women in general, but more the relationship with wives and husbands. And it's also the relationship of a wife with her husband, not with just, I'm a wife and there's a bunch of other random husbands that I know. Okay, so it's the husband-wife relationship. Now, of course, there will be principles that you can draw from that if you are a man or a woman, but Peter is primarily addressing wives and then later on husbands. So what then is focused on the behavior for a Christian wife? Keep the passage with you. Two focuses that we can see. God calls wives in their married relationship to outward respect and inner beauty. Outward respect and inner beauty. Let's think about outward respect. Um, I think it's actually in the two big, there's, there's sort of three big confronting bombs in this passage, but two of, the big, two of the big confronting statements, it's actually, I think, when we get under the hood of those, we can actually understand this in its most helpful context when we understand them properly. Now, two of those confronting statements are be subject to and calling him Lord. Who felt good about that one this morning? Now, these are contributors to living with an outwardly respectful behaviour. So stay with me. First, let's think about the first confronting phrase, be subject to. Now, be subject to does not mean, to begin with, does not mean wives are meant to be a doormat or to put up with abuse. No way. Being subject to does not mean that there's any room for a husband to demean their husband or to exploit, uh, there's no room for a husband to demean his wife or exploit his wife. And it also does not mean that it's obey every command of the husband, no matter what the cost. That's what it doesn't mean. But rather, we want to be thinking about that there is a consistency in the conduct that Peter has already called Christian citizens and servants to, isn't there? He's already said, be subject to government, be subject to masters. And now he's saying to wives, be subject to your husband. It's an expression of respect, peace and kindness from an outworking of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's an ordering within the married relationship of two equals that God designs for the benefit of both those in the married relationship. The call is for the wife to be subject to her husband. It is a respectful engagement with a focus towards togetherness and mutual trust between the husband and God. And in some, some cases, as we'll see in a moment, it sometimes is just the wife having a very big trust in God. And it's also a posture, and we'll get more to this later, of following the lead of the husband as he places him as the, one to be who, as the one to be primarily accountable, the husband is primarily accountable in the stewardship of the relationship in how it bears witness to the gospel. And it's a, it's a mission, it's a subjection that finds its example where? In the person and work of Jesus. God doesn't call anyone to anything that he hasn't been first prepared to do himself. Jesus, the one who lived, entrusting himself and submitting himself to God's plans, purposes and promises. It's Jesus who sits at the right hand of the Father. It's Jesus who follows the Father's lead, yet who also rules with the Father, who the Father gives incredible glory and honour to. And subjection is not only something that creates an honouring within the marriage. A wife who can be subject to her husband is also showing a trust in what God says is good. And it's a showing a love for what God is leading her in. And we'll talk a little bit more about this at the moment, but first, 
bomb there, be subject to. Second one is calling him Lord. So we keep unpacking this. Stay with me. Calling him Lord. Now, preliminary note for husbands, none of this is an excuse for you to lord it over your wife, but I'm going to get to you in a minute. All right? Now, two ways that this Lord title, as, as it appears in the text here, can be understood, I think, are very helpful. The first way we can understand why he's used the word Lord is actually, it's just a cultural term of respect. Just, okay, in the same way that we were in school and it's just like, you know, we had a, a way we would address teachers or principals and all those sorts of things. In ancient Near East culture, it's a normal practice for that day and age to call the husband Lord. Maybe similar to today, maybe similar to like a few years ago, sir, ma'am, or, you know, Maybe our parents' generation, hun, dal, or maybe today, babe or bae. <laughs> Whatever word you use, the bottom line is that with this one, God sees that there's a benefit and a blessing to be having an ordering in the married relationship. And that being even verbally, verbally shown. God, he is calling the husband to protect, guard, shield, and be accountable and be responsible to be responsible. He then in turn calls the wife to honour that role, co-equal, but a different contribution to the one who will be held in ultimate account for that marriage. We see this where you can open up to the first page of your Bible. Remember what happens? Adam and Eve, they screw up royally. And there's plenty of people that will be like, yeah, it was Eve's fault. She took the fruit. She talked to Satan. She was the one that, you know, she gave it to Adam. But then who does God go and talk to first? Who's the one that's held to account? Adam. So first thing we can think about there, it's a term of respect. And with this, I actually don't think... Like we read this and we think, oh, calling him Lord, that by making a wife say that, it diminishes, it diminishes, her, uh, it diminishes her in that married relationship. I actually think it does the other, it actually works the other way. I actually think that when a wife is able, you know, uh, Esther's never called me Lord, okay? Um, and I don't expect the application of the, the sermon today to be like, you know, wives are now addressing, you know, their husbands as Lord. It's, it's the principle of respect. But here... Think of, think of the reminder it is for a husband when the wife, just in normal conversation, is able to address him with a, like, a, like an honouring title and the one like Lord. That is a reminder to him that's just like, oh, yeah, actually, I'm the one accountable here, aren't I? I'm the one accountable. It's kind of like in the army, you know, when, the, you, know, when you call an officer, sir, it comes in, yes, sir, and you're just a, a pleb private. He's like, no accountability here. <laughs> That guy, it's going to roll uphill to him. And he gets reminded of that every time you call him sir. So he's the one that will be held accountable. Anyway, that's a side note. But I think it's a really nice little nudge from God of, to the men, to the husbands. Remember, buddy, you're the first one that's going to be held to account. And when I go looking for that married relationship between you and your wife, I'm going to be talking to you, Lord. All right, Helpful. Okay, second helpful point, I think, in understanding this Lord address, which is uh, kind of cool. Now, there's a little Old Testament Easter egg that uh, Peter puts in, puts in here uh, as he references Sarah and Abraham. I don't know if you saw that. Now, this is a little nugget of encouragement for the wives to remember who's actually really in charge. Um, calling him Lord, it's a reference from Genesis 18.12, and it's the account of when, so Sarah overhears, um, you know, that, that uh, she's going to have a baby, and by this point in Abraham and Sarah's relationship, that is like impossible. Like they're really old, like really, really old. Like if you, like if, you know when sometimes there's that awkward encounter and you see the, the lady pushing the pram, it's like, is that the grandma or the mum? Uh, you're like, I don't know what to say. If you saw Sarah pushing the pram, you'd be like, she is definitely the great, great, great grandma. Um, she's like, no, I'm the mum. Didn't see that one coming. Anyway, so we digress. I'm having too much fun. No, so... In that first, like when God told uh, Abraham and Sarah that was going to happen, Sarah laughs. She's like, as if, as if I'm going to be having a baby. And then it, she actually says, uh, Sarah laughed to herself saying, after, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Shall I have the gift of a child? But then it goes on to say, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is 
anything too hard for the, for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you and about this time next year, and Sarah will, will have a son. I think Peter, he wants to bring in this Old Testament passage to remind wives that you can respect the man that you're married to, even against the greatest odds, even when it can be quite like, whoa, what's going on here? I'm not sure about that. Because it's a balance between my Lord and the Lord. You know what? I can, I can actually uh, trust God's derived authority here and be like, okay, if this is the way that we're going, actually being able to go because God is in charge and he's, he's the one who is sovereign and in control of this. So as I remember, Lord, I'm actually also, I'm actually just saying, yes, Lord, I'm going to follow your way. So if you're a wife, be encouraged by this little nugget, I think, in the way that there is nothing too hard for the Lord as you seek to live in a posture with your, with your husband as um, treating him as Lord or respect in a respectful manner. So if you're a wife, the first focus we've been thinking about is God wants you to be someone who can show outward respect, outward respect in your married relationship. The question still remains though, like how and why? Firstly, how? I get it, it can be hard. A husband can have his moments, so I've been told. <coughs> <laughs> I have my moments. Anyway, uh, now where does a wife look to for a convincing model of this disciplined devotion to God? They can look to Jesus. They can look to Jesus. Matthew 26, 39, And going a little farther, Jesus, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Uh, yes, this passage uh, is an intentionally very heavy example of honour and submission to the plans and purposes of God. But it shows us that whatever the circumstance, even when you're peering down the tunnel that finishes with crucifixion on a Roman cross, wives, servants, citizens, all of us can throw ourselves into whatever the circumstances may be because we know we're doing so under the care and the guidance and the love and the provision and prote protection of a trusted and loving and powerful God. And best of all, that was a heavy example, best of all, I'm pretty sure initially most of you did start married life by choosing that relationship. I hope. Um, I mean, since having daughters, I'm a little bit more for organised, arranged marriage. Like, it seems a little bit more logical. But it's always nice to reflect on, you know, the wedding day vows and how it all started. And actually, you know what? We can do this together. We started off on a good foot. And we're going to do what we can to maintain that. Now, why? Why show this outward respect? Stay with me because it works in with the second focus behaviour for wives in the married relationship. The second focus behaviour is an inner beauty. An inner beauty. Outward respect, inner beauty. Now, the inner beauty it is going to build on this idea of respect. Now, there's some, there's some, some stuff worth mentioning here, which is beautiful. Uh, verse 3, do not let your adorning be external the braiding of hair and putting on of gold jewellery or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Wives, let me tell you, there's some really good stuff here. God wants you investing in your inner beauty, not in your Instagram booty. It's not external adoring, okay? And there's beautiful good news in this. God makes true beauty, real beauty, accessible to all wives, doesn't he? Makes it accessible to all wives. You don't need riches to buy gold necklaces. You don't need money for the expensive haircuts. You don't need that bottomless bank account for the trendy clothes of the season. Because there's an inner beauty which you can all pursue as you follow after the person work of Jesus. True beauty is accessible by all. And that's wonderful. It's a refining of a heart. It's not the remaking up of a face. True beauty can be found in the soul spa of the spirit. 
discipline yourself with a smoothie diet made with the fruits of gentleness, patience, and self-control. It's a beauty that God loves and is available to all. But there's more. This beauty that God calls wives to have, this inner beauty, it's God-pleasing, God-honoring. It's also an imperishable beauty, imperishable, eternal beauty. It's beauty that doesn't wear out. All other beauties, skin, tans, tone, clothes, highlights, colours, curls, can't take it with you. And if you try to take those things with you into old age, it's just not cool, okay? Uh, I'll tell you that for free. You know the Glamour Nanas? Those Glamour Nanas? Oh, I'm just, oh stop. Stop, Louis. It's going to get yourself in a lot of trouble. Inner beauty. You can take it with you. It's imperishable. It goes on forever. And the power for this, the example for this, the, the hope for this, your coach in this, who is it? It's Jesus. It's Jesus, a, a wonderful, beautiful example of inner beauty and gentleness. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Well, there's this wonderful example of just Jesus' gentleness and inner beauty at work here. It's, it's when he's hanging on the cross. And when they came to the place that is called the skull where they crucified him and the criminals that were on his right and one on his left, Jesus said, as they were crucifying him, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. Like at that time, externally, Jesus looked ugly for us. But his heart was still on show, wasn't it? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You can't argue with just how amazingly beautiful that is. So those are the focuses. Wives, outward respect and inner beauty. So why, why does God call wives to this type of behavior in marriage? Two reasons. First reason, God thinks, God thinks it is awesome and precious. God thinks it's precious. Let your adorning, adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. In all your living wives, Peter's calling, calling you here to say, who are you trying to impress? Because the Bible tells us today that God thinks that your gentle, inner, beautiful, stealth mode evangelism is very precious. Very precious. It's rare. God's like, that's top shelf stuff. Inner beauty and outward respect of my daughters that are married. He loves it. He loves it. Now, it's not to say that God doesn't want his daughters just to still look nice and make an effort and dress themselves up. That's still okay. That's, that's fine. You do that. But don't let that be your primary preoccupation in your life. Don't let bitterness or obnoxiousness or self-indulgence overtake your primary desires, but have courageous contentment. Have an inner strength and a powerful patience. And as you do that, God is like, mm, look at my girl. That's precious. That's very precious. She's gorgeous. She gets it. That is an eternally elegant lady. That's who I want my daughters to be. Playing the long game of eternal elegance. And it's with that elegance we see the second reason for these two focuses. It's a winning without words. It's a winning without words. I'm reminded here of the story uh, of the advice a divorce lawyer gave a, gave a wife leading up to the divorce of a husband and wife. There had to be a period of about six to nine months until they could actually separate. And this divorce lawyer thought it'd be really clever if he like just tried to really really make this husband suffer. So he said to the wife, he's like, you know what you should do for the next six to nine months while we get this paperwork done? You know, come back in that time, we'll book it in. He says, you know, you should just be, you should just be like really, really friendly to him. You should just be like, you know, just, just, 
just like live in a way where he's just like, oh, wow, like she's amazing. Like, you know, and just, and just like, just respect him and, and just uh, like show him like this, show him love. And, and, you know, and, and then when you divorce him, all right, it's going to kill him. That was his, that was his uh, advice to this woman. But then six, nine months down the line, you know, the, the wife comes in and has the appointment with the lawyer. Says, all right, right, you ready to do this? We'll get the paperwork signed. We're all good to go. And she says, you know what? I don't really want to get divorced anymore. You know, ever since I've just, you know, I took your advice, like my husband has been so different. <laughs> it's like, there's been like this, you know, we've actually been like more cohesive and unified than ever. There's a real love that's building between us. And I don't, don't know what it's been. <laughs> the goal that Peter builds here, that God is teaching is to win without a word. Wives, you can win, God says, you can win over your husband without even talking. How? By a mo- modelling obedience to the word of God. That will be your proclamation of the word. Your actions really can speak louder than words. And I think, actually, this is, this, this is it's really clever. <laughs> like, you think about a long-term relationship, a long-term relationship, often the best apologetic or the best way of convincing people of something that is true and right and real in your life, it's not in a confronting or challenging quick word, but it's in a long-term relationship, it's the evidence of a changed and ongoing changing life that speaks so loud. So why is being encouraged <clears throat> that you can win your husband even without words? And trust God that he can do that as you see, to seek to obey his call on your life to live this way. Because I'm sure, I'm not sure, but I like to think of it kind of like, you know, when God's up there with the angels and he's seeing this wife just be so faithful to what God is leading her and teaching her in as she keeps following the example of Jesus. I feel like God would almost be like saying, hey, 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 angels, angels, come over here, check this out. Watch this, watch this, watch this. Look at how precious he is. Gentle, quiet spirit. This guy won't even see this coming. Watch this. So, like, watch, watch me work on this guy's heart through my Holy Spirit, through the unexpected example of this inwardly beautiful wife. Watch this. The upside down, topsy turvy kingdom of God, as he does his work through just the means that we just can't even comprehend. But that's how he does it. And that's, I think that's the coolest thing ever. So wives, remember, God loves you. He's for you. He's with you. You are amazing to him. And you can be amazed by his son. And you can follow his example. You can live a life with your husband, showing outward respect and inner beauty. And you can do that looking to Jesus for your example and for your strength. And you can remember that God loves it and he promises to use it. Next in line, husbands. I will be quicker from now on in. Husbands. Starting off, something light to refresh us. A husband met with his pastor and said, you know what, I don't know if I can love my wife anymore. I'm not sure what I can do. The pastor replied, well, mate, The Bible says to love God, love your neighbour and love your enemies. So whatever you consider this woman, you've at least got to love her. Now, I have taken a little bit longer with wives and I'm going to take a little bit shorter with husbands as Peter does. He has 140 words for the wives and 39 to the husbands. So Peter is now brief and to the point. All right. Peter is also amazingly subversive to the day and age he writes to with this next section. Amazingly subversive. Now, remember at the top when we first read this passage and we're like, ooh, I don't know if, we can, if he can say that. Like, because in this cultural moment, this is, uh, this is, I don't know if that's okay. Can I tell you, for this part here to husbands and already what Peter has done, the original readers of this text, now they're the ones raising eyebrows at what they're seeing. Because Peter has done the exact opposite of what that culture would have considered modern. Okay? Like, here's the accepted wisdom of the day. There's a Greek historian, Plutarch, he records this, okay? This is from Greek history, AD 60. A wife should not acquire her own friends, but should make her her husband's friends her own. The gods 
are first and significant friends. For this reason, it is proper for a wife to recognize only those gods whom her husband worships. AD 160, posted Instagram beta version 970,000 weeks ago. So Peter, as he comes to this part, he's, 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 he's already addressed the wives first before the men in this section, which is hugely significant. He's already said, he's now said to the men, wives are to be honored. And he has said to the husband is to live with the wife in an understanding way. We've just had International Women's Week. I think it's worth pointing out that, past, that contrary to popular belief, it's actually the teaching of the Bible, teaching like this, that starts off movements like this, that promotes gender equality, women's rights, and women's values. But we'll get back on track. The husband, husbands, there's two focuses that we're called to in this text. Reading from verse seven, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Husbands, you are called to empathize and empower. Empathize and empower. Husbands, we are called to live with our wife. Live with our wife. That's significant. Not just in the same house, but doing life together. Live with your wife. And as you do, live with your wife and help her feel safe. Help her feel understood. Help her feel valued. She under your care, protection and guard, she should feel loved. She should feel like you get her or at least you're making an effort. You to husbands, to your wives, you are to be a help, not a hindrance. Okay. Be understanding. Maybe husbands today, you can ask yourselves, what is it like to live with me? Not me, but what is it like to live with you? Living with me is terrible. Ask yourself, what is it like to live with me? That might be a profound insight into what it's like to be, into how you could even be serving your wife today. Maybe you could ma imagine what it's like to be married to you. You know, little, little quirks that you might have, you know, with the dishwasher, with your clothes, things that your wife, you know, she's really frustrates her. Show honour to your wife. Show honour to your wife, husbands. Show honour to your wife. How can you show honour? Husbands, you can spiritually honour your wife. Spiritually honour your wife. Church, prayer, Bible reading, discipleship. How are you, husbands, how are we, how are we making this possible and accessible for our wife? And I'm not just like, oh yeah, yeah, off you go, that'd be great. How are we encouraging our wives spiritually? How are we having conversations of eternal significance with our wife? How are we seeking to point them to Jesus, the author and perfecter of their faith? How are we seeking to be men who spiritually care for our husbands so that on the day of judgment, we can stand next to our wives with confidence and say, this woman that you have entrusted to me to guard and to protect and to lead, she is who she is because of what I've done, not in spite of what I've done. Husbands, do you pray for your wife? Do you model Jesus to your life with your life? Honour your wife spiritually. Honour your wife, husbands, honour your wife emotionally. Be present. Be there. Listen and reflect with your wife. Something that I learned early on in my marriage was, you know, I'm a problem solver, okay? And I'll come home from work and my wife has just, Esther's just had a terrible day or whatever. She's just, it hasn't been fun. And she wants to get it all out and have a conversation with a human being that isn't two years old. She's telling me everything that's going on and straight away, I'm like, well, Esther, what you need to do is got this, you should probably just try this. We'll try this, we'll write a list. Um, how do we do a roster? Uh, and what if we just, um, we can put the funds over this bank account here. <laughs> you know what I discovered? Esther doesn't want that. So often she just wants me to listen. So she just gets it off her chest, just verbally process. Do you know how your wife processes life? Maybe she's a verbal processor. There was a really, really helpful tip that I learnt. Now I'm not the karate master guru, awesome husband of the year, but I feel like this one helps. That when you realise that your wife is just having a moment just to get things out, you know how you sit there with her? You sit there with her like this. Literally put your hand over your mouth. 
It will stop you from talking. That's why it's there. Because you'll be listening and you're like, oh, hey, hey, what about... You'll be trying to finish your sentences. Hand over the mouth. Emotionally honour your wife. Encourage her. When was the last time you noticed something that she does really well and you called that out in her and continue to encourage her in that? When was the last time that you recognised even her love language? And you're like, you know what, I'm going to make an investment into that this week. Words of affirmation, quality time, a gift, whatever it might be. Emotionally honour your wife. Husbands, you can also physically honour your wife. Protect her. Look after yourself so you can protect her. You have a responsibility to look after your own body so that you can look after your wife. You've said, till death do us part. Don't make your death sooner than it needs to be. You can also look like be wise with the job that you take on so that you can be around for her. Be mindful of the season that you're in as a family. Do you have kids? Don't you have kids? Where, where are the kids? Are you trying to have kids? Maybe, maybe you can't have kids. Be mindful of all of those seasons in your relationship and then be present and physically honour your wife. There's other things that we can say for physically honouring your wife. But we won't go there just today. But husband, help her. Physically, help her. When was the last time, husbands, you sought to personally do something that you know that your wife doesn't personally like to do? When has there been a time that you've carried a burden on behalf of your wife? And I'm not talking about, sorry if you've done this, hiring a cleaner, Sorry. Because I think it's actually more romantic if you get in there and clean the shower. Am I right, wives? Okay, maybe it's just Esther. Okay, all right. How else can you honour your wife? Husbands, you can financially honour your wife. Financially honour your wife. How do you spend the money in your married relationship? If someone was looking at your bank statement and that they were to put a highlighter next of all the things that you bought for you, and then all the things you bought for her, and then the things that were just necessary for the household, what, how, would it, how would it weigh up? How would it balance out? And maybe if, if there is an imbalance, has there been a conversation there? Two big issues in marriage, often when it comes to marriage counselling, the two main issues is sex and money. So it's good to financially honour your wife and to have that conversation to honour her in that way. And lastly, there's plenty more we can say, but you can honour your wife in the way that you will parent for those husbands and wives here that have children. Husbands, are you seeking to be united with your wife before your children? Are you seeking to parent with a united and unified vision? Not being the fun dad and then there's the mean mum. But how are you having conversations in the way that you are standing together in togetherness before your children so that your children know that my mummy and dad are connected and they're safe and they are consistent, they both are, because they are one, one flesh. That takes conversations. That takes intentionality. That takes being deliberate. That takes, you know, the sideways, you know, when, when one of your children comes up and says, Daddy, can I please have this? Can I please do this? And before you answer, so it's like, hold on a minute. Hey, uh... Esther, I've just had this conversation with one of our lovely children. Oh, right, okay, she's already asked you. You've said no, so I will also say no. As opposed to, that little kid just played me. It is a gift to your wife. It is also a gift to your children to parent in an honouring way of your wife. So there's that. That is how husbands, you can honour your wife. Now, there's still this thing sticking out on the page that we should address or else it'll just take up all your time in your gospel community this week. So I'll speak to it briefly. Weaker vessel. Who liked that one? Weaker vessel. Eyebrows are still raised. What's all that about? Best translation when it talks about wives being the weaker vessel. Best translation, bodily weaker. Bodily weaker. Now, I'm thankful that in this moment I can stick on my physio hat uh, and to be able to say that from... 
five years of studying at university and working with the human body, women generally, on average, are not as strong as men. Now, I feel like, like this is probably obvious, but we're in a day and age where this is controversial. As a physiotherapist, I would treat, like, physic, like treat in terms of like assess, treat, help rehab, treat them differently because they are bodily, they are a weaker vessel, they are bodily weaker. Now, weaker vessel, it look, it's probably not the best term for today's day and age and the common day reader and as they come across this, but you know what? I'm still glad that they use it because it stands out in a way that provides some really helpful reminders for husbands. Okay, the first really helpful reminder, and although this is not explicit, I think it's there, is it actually helps us grasp some of our uniqueness as image bearers of gods, of husbands and men, wives, wives and husbands, and women and men. Men, the term weaker vessel, I think should remind you that you have a strength, a physical strength, a physicality that your wife doesn't. And so you have a responsibility to protect, to guard and to shield as an image bearer of God. Read through the Psalms. God, you are my refuge and my strength. A husband should be a refuge and a strength to his wife. Women, you are generally not as strong physically, okay? I say, and I also say generally, because there was a time when uh, Esther and I were going to the gym together, we had to do this back rehab exercise and Esther crushed it. <laughs> my back was so weak. Anyway, that was a lot of motivation for that next year. Anyway, <clears throat> but generally not as strong. But it's helpful to see that, <clears throat> that although women, they're not going to be, have a greater physicality, there's something else that weaker vessel does emphasize, I think, and that is beauty and glory. Beauty and glory. See, look, I don't think weaker vessel should lessen a woman's value, but it should do the opposite. It's not a derogatory weaker, but it's a finer, more delicate, it's a promoting a higher level of beauty, honor, and cherishing. Like you think of some of your most valued, precious things that people just love to look at. You go into a great art museum and what are the things that's just like, oh wow, that is beautiful. What is that? And they're like, don't touch. <sighs> Be careful with that. The reason it does look so beaut beautiful is because it's actually quite, there's a, there is, look, it's the difference between a rose in bloom and an oak tree. Oak trees can still be beautiful, but a rose, there's a delicacy, it's, it's, it's beautiful, it's not brutish, it's carefully created and crafted, it's not clumsy and like, you know, just stuck together, which a lot of, which a lot of husbands are, myself included. It's, I think, there's a, it's not all about physical function, it's just this beautiful, beautiful physical form. And I think that should be celebrated and not, not diminished. More often it's the finer, more delicate or weaker things that we value the most, isn't it? Now, all that to say, not to, all that, I don't want to say, or I don't want wives or women to hear that you can't be strong, okay? You can be strong. You can be physically strong. You can be emotionally strong. You can be mentally strong. You can be spiritually strong. And many times, often, wives in the relationship, like, they come up spades more often than the husbands do in these other areas. But husbands should take heed of this world word to remind them that they are the one accountable in being the protector of the family. It should give husbands some emotional intelligence to how to engage with their wife. Some emotional intelligence. Okay, I had to learn this. I learned this like the hard way. But I didn't realize that like being a guy that's sort of six foot one, you know, 80 kilos, I didn't realize that being a little bit more physically present could be intimidating. You know, just in my brain, I'm just like, oh yeah, I'm just a weird, clumsy, lanky dude. But actually, I needed to learn that I've got to be really mindful of the way that I carry myself. Even the way that I speak because of a physical physicality that I just have. So husbands, be mindful of your physicality that you just have. And not only in how you carry yourself, but in how you speak. You know, think of the way that, even the way that maybe you stand, even think of the way that, you know, the, the, husbands, you pro 
I had to learn this, but you can actually, you can start a conversation and be very intimidating without even realizing it. So be mindful that actually you're the one that has a greater physicality and your wife is the weaker vessel. So husband, I would encourage you to consider, are there any negative ways that you act or speak or carry yourself that actually intimidate your wife? Have that conversation. That'd be a good thing to do. And husbands, if there's any of you here today or listening online and you know that you intentionally use your physicality to get what you want, that is not on. It's not on. That is something that you need to repent of. You need to turn to Jesus to. You need to say sorry. And you need to look to Jesus and how it is that you should be caring for the daughter of God that he's entrusted with you. Jesus can forgive you of that. He can lead you in that. He can teach you a new way of life. Come to the foot of the cross where everyone is equal. Be humble. Start afresh and remember the gospel. And husbands, remember all of this, it's not just said by God, it's also done by God, isn't it? And to that we look to the person and work of Jesus. Empower and empathize. Husbands, Ephesians 5, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the words that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife should love himself. Husbands, love your wife as Christ has loved the church and given himself up for her. Husbands, we are called to lay down our life for our wife. Sometimes that starts with laying down the remote. Laying down your phone. To honour her, to love her, to cherish her, to empathise with her and to empower her. Now why? We've already had some good reasons. Why? Peter gives some reasons for your empathy and your empowering. First reason, you're a co-heir with your wife. You're a co-heir. This is an additional appeal to what Peter's already made to slaves and servants. Now he's looking into eternity with the shared relationship. There is a co-heir in the grace of life. Okay, You share the same future together. You'll stand beside one another in glory. You'll be like, hey, great to see you. Some good times back there. It was great, wasn't it? Yeah. Let's keep worshipping God. It's great. Come on. Co-heir with you into eternal life. It's a relationship you take with you forever, forever. Play the long game is what Peter is saying. Second, and this one scares the absolute living daylights out of me, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Husbands, honour your wife so that your praying won't be pointless. It's not only elders that are called to pray in the church, it's all men are called to pray. And a married man's prayer life, a married man's prayer life and his relationship with God will be hindered if he fails to honour, love, serve and sacrifice for the woman that he is married to. That's terrifying. That's terrifying. Husbands, that is terrifying. <laughs> there is a risk that, husbands, that you could be crying out one day with Jesus like he was on the cross. You could be crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God will be able to say right back to you because you have treated my daughter with contempt. Husbands, I don't know what you're praying for at the moment. I don't know how that's going. But I recommend that you start praying, well, continue, hopefully, hopefully not start, but pray for your wife. And then pray for God's help in being able to look to Jesus to see how you can love her, lead her, empathise with her, empower her and cherish her as God would want you to. So husbands, God has made you strong and you have an amazing call on your life to fight for your wife and you have everything you need and you have Jesus to lead you in it. And today is a new day. The gospel is a message of fresh starts. March 13th, long weekend, can be the day you heed the call to honour your wife in the way that God wants you to. Husbands, please focus on empathising and empowering 
her. Look to Jesus for your example and for your strength. And remember, it is an eternal investment. And there's consequences if you don't. <clears throat> now, just before I get to everyone, can we please note that if husbands and wives are able to follow in what God is calling them to, the end result of that, it's amazing. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Husbands that are seeking to understand and honour and empower and protect and be considerate of their wives, building them up and being considerate, like laying down their lives to them, I was like, yes, go, go, I'm here. And as that dovetails with a wife who is seeking to spur on and is patient with her husband and who is growing with her husband, that, that's not a competitive relationship, that's a cohesive relationship. That's not, a, that's not constant clashing, that is but a humble, a humble giving and growing together. And I think that's beautiful. And speaking personally, seeking to put this in practice where I have been able to, been plenty places where I failed. It's beautiful. So husbands and wives, perhaps there's an area today that you can take from 1 Peter. To trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but to acknowledge him and let him make straight your paths. Lastly, everyone, it's okay, I have one page. One page to go. Finally, all of you, all of you, this is all of us now, husbands, wives, men, women, children, not the dogs, sorry, we don't do that, we don't bless the dogs here. Finally, all of you, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind. Do not, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, reviling but on the contrary, bless, bless. For to this you were called, that you may receive a blessing. All believers, all followers of Jesus, all those that bear the name of Christ and would call themselves Christians are to express these five qualities. A unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, familiar family love, a tender heart and a humble mind, tender heart and a humble, not a callous heart, not an arrogant mind, a tender heart and a humble mind, not vengeful, not, oh yeah, I'll get them back, but blessing, not cursing. So it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, see that no one repays evil for evil, but always, always, that's a lot, always seek to do good to the one, one another and to everyone. Everyone. That's, in the original Greek, that says everyone. And as Jesus said, I say to you, love, love, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is countercultural. This is so countercultural. This is elect exile behavior, isn't it? There are many groups today, there are many communities that affirm and would celebrate retaliation and revenge, isn't there? Yeah, good on you, you got him back. Yeah, good on you. Oh, you know what you need to do? You just need to get online and post this. Yeah, then she'll, then she'll, then she'll be sorry. Sorry, I watched too many bad movies when I was young. Do what is honourable in the eyes of God, not in the eyes of man. Act as one of the elect, Jesus' people who respond graciously even to those that oppose them. So the big idea, the two main focuses, two main focuses, pursue a life that thinks, feels and acts like Jesus and be a blessing to others. Be a blessing to others. It's beautifully modelled in the person and work of Jesus. He was a blessing, wasn't he? Wherever he went, oh, Jesus is here. Come on. Yes. He's the life of the party, the light of the world, engaging in the world, but not being corrupted by the world. He blessed those we was, he was with. He blessed them with words. He blessed them with his time. He blessed them with food, with gentleness, with listening, with being present, to being with those, with, to being with those that no one else wanted to be with. This is why the early church was called Christians, wasn't it? Little Christs. Imagine if we were little Christs. We walk around and, you know, those few people in our office that have watched The Chosen, they go, oh, you remind me of someone. You remind me of Jesus. That's who we're meant to be. And the two reasons to do this, to go God's way, you will receive security and blessing. That's what he promises. To go God's way, you will receive security and blessing. If not, at least at the end of time, 
ultimate security, ultimate blessing. But it does work in today. And if you don't go God's way, Peter quotes Psalm 34, it won't go well. It won't go well. There's a living in the love of the Lord and living in the fear of the Lord. Peter quotes Psalm 34, I bless the Lord because he delivers the righteous. It's a psalm that finishes with, none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. None of those. None of those who take refuge in God will be condemned. So obedience to God in daily life is a path to experiencing God's blessing. Obedience to God in daily life is a path to experiencing God's blessing. So we've gone for some time now. I've intentionally wanted to take the time to do it well. Thank you for staying with me. As we conclude, let me say this, wives, there's a call on your life to live like Jesus. Show your gratitude and reliance on God by showing gentleness and respect to your husband. This is precious in God's sight. Husbands, there's a call on your life to live like Jesus. Show that the main man of your house is God by honouring, protecting and being present for your wife. This will give power to your prayers. For the rest of us, those of us who have responded to the good news of the gospel for the forgiveness of sin, through the believing, repentance and faith and baptism into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a call on our life to live like Jesus. So that our life on this earth is not defined by fear of people's opinion, but is a life that is confident in God's way and his ongoing protection. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love to us. We thank you for Jesus Christ, the one who not only died in our place, but also lived the perfect life to show us what a life that honours you, a life that is fulfilling your plans and your purposes. Thank you for Jesus that shows us that way, teaches us, but also models it to us. There's nothing that you call us to today that you have not been prepared to do yourself. We thank you for that. Father, I ask for those that are married within our church this moment, I ask that you would sustain them, that you would draw them closer to one another, that you would deepen their oneness and the connection that they have with you by the power of your Holy Spirit, and that they would continue to grow up together into being more like Jesus, representing God and bearing witness to the gospel of grace. For all of us, help us to be those that bless and do not curse. Help us be people that think, act, and feel like Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.